0: Okay, today I'm in Gillingham in Dorset with uh, Simon Prout, uh, businessman, syndicate manager, racehorse owner and yard sponsor.
1: Yeah, that's about it really, yeah.
0: Well, thanks very much for agreeing to give up some me a busy time to talk to us. Um, Tell us a little bit about your your interests in horse racing.
1: I've always had a great interest in horse racing. Um, My grandfather was a heavy gambler, dragged me into betting shops at a very early age i followed National Hunt Racing for many a year and of late I've been lucky enough to get involved with owning some horses, running a syndicate and formed a good friendship with Seamus Mullins who trains very, anywhere, very near where I live in Salisbury. So yeah, we've moved on quite a bit.
0: Okay, now dare I ask about the syndicate, Is because it's called the what?
1: The 69 Club. Yeah, it's raised a few eyebrows in all sorts of um, places but it was an idea I dreamt up a couple of years ago. Um, A lot of customers and friends showed interest in my racing activities and I thought I could do something a little bit different. So we managed to find 69 people to commit to £69 each a month. A few people told me I'd never get them, so the more people told me I wouldn't, the more determined I was. So we've we've got them. We bought a nice young horse um, that we've ran for a year in our colours and we've won a race. and uh, had really good fun and uh, we've got the stage now where we've got enough in the kitty to buy a second horse so the 69 club is now a proud honor of two horses um it's been going very well we've had some really great days out yeah we've raised a few eyebrows with the name some ladies in the bank were very worried when i kept going in with checks payable to pay the 69 club <laughs> a few of our members asked if they could pay it into some other accounts they didn't want the bank manager to see the 69 club on their statement which was true And our logo raised a few eyebrows, two interlocking horses, I'll leave it to your imagination, but you can visit the69club.co.uk. That also raised a few questions, and a couple of people said um, they found that rather offensive and didn't want to be a part of it. But as they were obviously boring and not the people we wanted, it was a good self-cleansing process. So we've got 69 like-minded people having a damn good time. So where did you manage to
0: find these people i mean are they like personal friends of yours or did you advertise or what
1: we well with personal friends and customers we came up with a great plan to have a website and we had a launch day at newton abbott where they kindly let us parade the horse before racing the down so we were full up the day before the launch day so we just had a party instead <laughs> um it was just customers and friends customers and friends and friends everybody knows somebody or knows a friend of mine and it's worked really really well
0: yeah okay so um You've told me a bit about yourself, and so I want me to, to get some of this across here. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this game.
1: Yeah, um, probably about eight or nine. My grandfather was a farmer, a little village called Oldbourne, near Sherbourne. And his day was a very methodical one, really. We'd have early morning milking, which occasionally I'd go and help with. We'd have a massive breakfast, which I'd definitely help with. And then shortly after, it was just time for him to ride his motorbike, his old BSA, a uh, bloody sore ass they called him in those days. Ride the motorbike into Sherbourne with me on the back, no helmets or anything like that. We'd spend lunchtime in the George in Sherbourne, an Eldridge Pope house, where he'd get 45 of beer and I'd be stoked out on orange squash and crisps. And then we'd stagger, or he'd stagger, across the road to Ollie Chisholm, the bookmaker's in Sherbourne, where the afternoon was spent. And occasionally I was allowed to mark the board. That was in the days when the blower just shouted the results through and somebody had to chalk them up. And that, that was good fun. So I got into that. Um, around about 12 or 13, I probably had my first bet. Uh, I can remember the very horse on the back was a horse called Gunner Blue at Newbury. Um, my dad used to go down and get the morning paper every morning and the news agent in Sherman was a chap called Ronald Rydate. He had horses with Richard Diamond. Richard Diamond is now an owner with Colin Tizard. He's actually Joe Tizard's grandfather. No, I beg your pardon, godfather. That was when the name Joe Lively came from one of Colin Tizard's first good horses. That's by the way. So my dad goes down, comes back. Ron wrote at the Usage says, we must back Gunner Blue. I said, well, how am I going to get a bet on? You know, I'm only 12, 13. Well, you know the bloke in the bookies, don't you? I said, well, I'll try and get in there at lunchtime, in my school lunchtime. So we would go in and there, find one of the locals to put a bet on for me. And Blue was third at 101, so there was a reasonable profit. My dad was pleased I'd got his bet on. I had a bit of myself. And it really went on from there. Slippery slope.
0: Now, your first ownership of a racehorse, somebody give it to you, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I had a relationship. I've always been in the motor trade. And I had a relationship with a taxi firm in Yeovil. Uh, They were racehorse owners. They they walked a little bit on the wild side and they had lots of taxi drivers wanting finance on cars. That was a little bit of a challenge because not many of them had a a great deal of wherewithal or credit history and probably money. But there were ways and means in those days of trying to say to a finance guy, he seemed okay, this chap. And eventually they'd sort of sung you up. So as a reward for getting i don't know the 20th vagrant into a car on hp they gave me a quarter share in a horse called toughly trained by donald tucker at froome and that's really where it started the ownership bit that was i don't know probably 25 30 years ago we had a quarter share yeah
0: and how, how did that one go
1: not very well um first race course debut was a bumper at Sandown on a Saturday afternoon. Now I was working, believe it or not, fifty yards from where we're sat now in a main dealership, and I was in the sh- I was a salesman, I was there on my own on a Saturday afternoon. At about one o'clock it got the better of me. I've got a runner at Sandown. I can't be here. So I decided to just lock the showroom and go. I can remember steaming up the M3 with a hazard warning load. So I got the sand about half an hour before the race, got in the paddock, I, the horse was, was just an embarrassment, I think, really. But I do remember walking up. Is it the rhododendron walk, they call it, just to make a sand down? And I looked at me right, there's the Queen Mother. I thought, well, I've arrived now. I'm, this is, I'm getting somewhere now. Um, the horse was awful, really, useless. Um, but it did once manage to finish second at some reasonable place at Plumpton. I think then my colleagues received an offer from Bill Turner probably 100 quid to cut the pints. bill turner bought the horse as he thought hang on there is something here and i think it promptly broke down next time that was the end of that but that was toughly i mean so um, when
0: you're gifted a horse do you have still have to pay the uh oh the no I was, I was
1: the full lot i was given i was given everything there was no no overheads at all and funny enough a lady in our syndicate now the 69 club a lady called jackie tucker actually remembers this horse she was part of the young remembers this horse so tougher as she calls him um, and in fact the lady was kind enough to give me a silver framed photo of this horse only last year so that's where it all
0: began so when then did you first sort of foray into a syndicate
1: yeah um, probably around about 18 19 years ago a group of us I was living in Melbourne port then still down near Sherbourne we had quite an interest in Colin Tizard stable obviously been in the village a group of us decided to put a few quid together and buy a horse. So six of us put, a, put in two grand each, and we bought a horse called Brave Spirit out of Ian Williams' yard. We used to drink in a little club called the Milburn Court Constitutional Club, so known locally as the Con Club. So we actually named the syndicate the Con Club. That also raised a few eyebrows. And lucky enough, we had really, really good success. Brave Spirit with Colin. We got the horse up to about 127. We r- ran at the Cheltenham Festival. He won numerous races for us. We had really, really good fun until the poor old chap, sadly, um, died on the gallops, ruptured an aorta, and that was the end of that. Um, we had a couple more horses with Colin, beside the fire, and Roblin Trop, Melbourne Port spelt backwards, and we had good fun. Um, and we've still got a good holding of premium bonds as part of the profits of that syndicate. So, so when
0: you when you decided to, to start, was it sort of your idea or was it a group of your ideas? Just six this?
1: of us really sat around the bar one night thought, let's let's try and get a race horse. We were all racing fans. We went down with Colin. We went to, uh, I believe it was Doncaster Sales where we bought this horse. It was part of a Robert Ogden dispersal sale. It obviously wasn't going to be quite good enough for Sir Robert Ogden, but it did us proud,
0: yeah. So then your first outright ownership, did that come on the proceeds or did you, were you sort of backing this horse? And...
1: Well, funny enough, yeah, we won a few because I don't mind a little uh, grapple with the bookmakers on occasions. And I thought, I really like this, really like this. And there was a horse called Lavalwa um, that was an adversary of Brave Spirit. Brave Spirit won the Sussex National, Lavalwa was second, things like this. And I suddenly noticed Lavalwa was coming up for sale. So... I said to Colin, we ought to have this because this is this is all right. And I bought it outright for five grand. Colin, I couldn't go to the sales. Colin came back, said we had a bit of trouble. The underbidder girl was crying her eyes out. Girl called Lucy McGarrity, who was very much involved in point to pointing, uh, got a livery yard, all sorts of things and probably better than that. If she's listening. Lovely girl, really wanted to buy the horse and Colin had to promise if I ever wanted to sell the horse, she had first refusal. So, we ran Lavalwa. The only time he ever looked like winning was the only time he fell. He was 25 lengths clear at the third last at Chepstow. And somehow or another Joe fell off. Sorry, Joe, that was a terrible fall. Terrible fall. Joe fell off. That was the only time he would have won. And shortly afterwards, Lavalwa promptly decided, I oh, do you not like racing. We were pulled up two days running and connor said you've got to just get this thing out of the yard is becoming an embarrassment so we duly rang up lucy mcgarrett who came rushing down the horse box bought the horse and sends me all sorts of progress um and it's been very very good with the horse so we found a good horse for that a good home for the valois do, do you or know why the, she
0: loved it so much
1: yeah when it came over from france it sold for half a million euros in france i always reminded colin that was the most expensive horse ever to have gone for a ring in his yard might still be the case, but here will remind me if not. She loved the horse, looked after it at David Redvers yard when it came in. She called the horse Frenchie, because it was a French horse. And she loved the horse and vowed she wanted to give it a good home, which she did.
0: And I've got Comrade Bob written down here. Tell me about Comrade Bob.
1: Oh dear, yeah, Comrade Bob. Uh, yeah, a friend of a friend uh, was a highly ranking military fellow involved in the point-to-point world. And was po- going to be posted abroad for about three years, and through the friend knew I dealt in cars. So basically, it started when I go away, can I dump my car here the night before I go away? We agreed a price, dump the car, give him X. A couple of days before, my friend rang me up. You don't want to buy his horse as well, do you? Because the bloke was buying his horses, let him down. So what's this horse all about? Was well, it's, it's good pointer? He's in a field somewhere or another at the moment, but you know he, he wants a few quid for it. But anyway. So I enlisted Colin and we got to some field in Gloucestershire. to see this thing in the corner of a field, looking rather dishevelled to my mind. But connor said, no, that do not look too bad. That you should have that. So we basically did a deal and I bought the, I bought the horse. We got it back and it, we took it to Utoxa to our Midland Grand National Day. I remember Derek Thompson saying that Colin Tissart has unearthed something from the point to point field. Look at that big, lovely black horse. And it feels he didn't run too bad. Uh, a few weeks later, we took him to Worcester, along with a couple of good friends of mine and customers, came along as guests. So you want to come racing? And the horse ran extremely well. Um, we were on a handicapping mission, I think is what we meant to say. I don't really understand how that works. But anyway... Um, we ran extremely well and Joe Tizard had to lament that unfortunately on the way up the running he mistakenly ran in the back of another horse. And therefore we couldn't quite finish as good as we'd meant to have finished. So that was meant to be good news. I, didn't really, I don't, don't really understand all that stuff. Anyway, on the strength of that, my friends love the horse so much that could we buy a share in it with you? So long and short of it, I agreed then to sell them a share. Within a week, Collins on the phone to me. Prouty, he said, um, the horse of yours has got a leg. I said, well, I'd rather hope it had four. But no, no, you don't understand. He's got a tendon problem. I said, what does that mean? He said, it means he's out in the field for a year. You won't see any action for a year. So unfortunately then, poor old comrade Bob had to go out in the field. My friends travelled up from Bournemouth every weekend to see the old horse in the field and fed it with carrots. And he rang me one day and said, look, it's breaking our hearts seeing that horse in the field all cold. Nothing would please me better to buy my buy the other share in the horse for my wife for Christmas. So Conan Tizard did tell me I'm mean, probably the best horseman in the world. Who on earth, bar you, could sell half a share in a in a lame horse? So off they went, and then they vowed they would graciously retire the horse, put it in full livery for the rest of its life. So once again, one of my old rejects has come up trumps.
0: Right, Simon, you, you did mention slightly that you don't mind having a go at the bookies so i mean are you a punter and if so how serious a punter are you
1: yeah i've always been a, a bit of a gambler um and with some success and plenty of losers like most people when you talk about the winners but the, the real upsurge in my ownership and interest all became um possible because of a bet um through, I got to know Seamus Mullins over a while uh, through friends and contacts. And I'd always loved to bet. And I've got a little college, sorry, holiday cottage down in Cornwall. So one one Sunday morning i go through and pick out my normal bet, which would be a super Yankee Canadian sort of thing. And I picked out five horses. And the first one was a Seamus Mullins horse, horse called Arthington. If my memory served me right, one twenty to 1 early on. First one, I'm a five-timer at Stratford. So that's, that's quite nice. That's quite, that's a good start. And then, um, usually that's the end of it, isn't it? Five-time, you have the first one, nothing else. But to cut a long story short, all five won. A lot of beer went down that afternoon, because I think it, the first race was maybe one o'clock. The last race was about quarter past four. But I managed to see it through and stay awake. And all five came in, so then there was a bit of champagne, a bit of this and a bit of that, and a bit of refreshing the phone to see what the balance was. So all of a sudden, um, my wife did let out various expletives, and I showed her that um, there were six figures and no decimal point. So, yeah, not bad, not bad. Lucky enough, we've been doing okay business-wise in a few bits and pieces, and we didn't have any pressing debt, so what are we going to do with this? Better make, better make a bit of use of this. So... I remember sat down in a pub in Cornwall, thinking, "What can we do with this?"
0: And can, um, when we're talking six figures, what sort of six figures are we talking only, only about? Only just
1: into six, only just into six. The first was a one. Yeah. Uh, it but, was only just into six. Don't get carried away. Um, <laughs> <it's more laughs> longer, Not a you? Not know, after. Cause I, I've blown <laughs> most of it. Anyway, <laughs> first time he's shown any real interest. But it was yawning till now. Um, anyway, yeah, it was, it was a one, it Started with a one. So I had a few pressing matters I thought we needed to do. The house needed fat. We live in a thatched cottage and we wanted to re-thatch the house and that was going to take up a bloody quarter or a third of it. So I went along with that. That was a sensible thing to do. Um, whilst, as you can probably see, I'm pretty fat, I was actually enormous then. And I'd been researching some form of um, weight loss surgery because diets were a waste of time. I got the stretch marks to prove those. I could lose it put it back on again anyway my brother's a surgeon in london he he knew some fellow did some revolutionary cut it all away and sew it all up bit gastric bands apparently are no good because you have got to have willpower for those i've got none of that so anyway i decided to invest about 10 grand on weight loss surgery not on most people's shopping list but that was good best thing i ever did lost eight stone put five three back on still five days that was okay so that's a cut. The relatively sensible things. Let's do something really silly and buy a racehorse. So, out of due duty, I thought I'd better go and see Seamus, as it was sort of he'd helped me along the road with his twenty-to-one shot.
0: What happened to Colin Tizard then?
1: But by this time, I'd moved. I'd lived. I'd moved away. I lived near Salisbury then, a little village called Fyldene on the Salisbury Plain. Um, so unfortunately, then I was a long way away. Colin had got obviously a lot bigger, a lot more successful. But I thought if I buy a horse, I want a real hands on role. As Seamus will admit now, shaking his head if he's ever listening. I'd like to get involved and interfere and say a bit and all the rest of it. So I wanted to be 10 minutes away, not an hour away. So hence I went down to see Seamus. I remember turning up one Sunday afternoon and seeing him, and we knew each other reasonably well. We'd had a bit of a problem with a motor vehicle. If I'd go, Let's go back to that a minute ago. I was actually, Seamus was very lucky, I did actually go and see him because. He had actually welched on a deal with me about a year before. Um, again, through my friend Stan is point-to-point man in Faldeen, is our mutual acquaintance. And Stan said that Seamus wanted a pickup for the farm. So I had this pickup, rather nice thing, I thought it was. I-Z-Z something or other. So Seamus says, bring it over on a Sunday morning. We'll have a look round, f- you know, give it a little go. And if I look, I'll have it. So we drove it around the farm. And yeah, this is all right. We agreed a price. He said, don't worry, I've got the cash in the drawer at home. So, oh, lovely. Yeah, before we go, I'll just give it one blast up the gallops and then we'll go down and get you sorted out. So this is all, I think this is OK because there was a bit of profit in it and I was a bit skint. And it was a Sunday morning and he promised cash, so an afternoon and the lash was luring, so this is OK. Anyway, we got the gallops and he puts a foot to the floor and all of a sudden there's a bang and smoke and stuff everywhere and it grinds to a halt. Oh, he never had it. We shook hands virtually but he said i can't really have it well i don't know so anyway i forgot about that and still agreed to go down to see him when we ordered a horse so I go down there shame of some in getting involved with a horse really so he says um oh i've got a few things that you know i could sell you a leg i said, "No, i really want one of my own really um which seemed to surprise me a little bit so long and short of it as they always i have got one in a stable just around the corner that'll suit you did you
0: tell him how much you had to spend
1: uh no um, but he didn't do too bad. He dragged He dragged um, quite a hefty sum out of me for a horse that is mated bred in Ireland out of some unknown stallion. Well, it was Watter was the stallion. I'd never heard of it, but I'm not really a breeding person. So we bought Old Born Lady. Um, and uh, we had slight success with Old Born Lady over the years. A lot, lot of them, um, disappointing days. Two breathing ups, one tendon up, all sorts of things like you do. So it was an expensive foray, but she did win a race for us, amazingly, on the flat at Salisbury. Pictures behind me, you probably can't see. She she won a race for us on the flat at Salisbury one night where we had the whole of the office there. For some reason, we'd had the biggest bets we'd ever had on her. She was convinced she'd win this race at Salisbury. I don't know how. You must have some divine powers because she never showed Lengland like, to win anywhere else. But we, we won a race with her. We've kept going with her. And funnily enough, I've just been realising, really, my devotion for rehoming of horses has worked again because we retired Old Lady about three months ago. Um, and Kevin Jones, good friend of mine, Recently retired jockey, I used to sponsor Kevin. Kevin at the works for me. His wife, Vicky, is an accomplished horse rider. Had looked after Oldborn Lady a few years ago at the yard. And was desperate for a horse to do eventing, show jumping, badminton-y stuff, whatever they do. Thought Oldborn Lady would do well, so I let them take her away. And she's doing brilliantly well, loving it. And found a new future in that. So, once again, this uncaring gamblers. this summer or another managed to find his third retired horse
0: a nice home now we need to rewind a bit to this monumentous afternoon at Salisbury when you've had it spark off I heard tell that they almost had they've had to lose the commentary on that race because there's an over enthusiastic owner blaspheming in the background and then there was an incident in the parade ring
1: yeah, as as Oldborn Lady is coming up the um, final furlong, a couple of lengths clear, I was heard to utter, in fact shout, "She's only gone and feckin' done it," <laughs> which was fine. Listening back to the racing, uh, to Racing UK's rerun later, a couple of days later, when I actually sobered up. That was loud and clear over the commentary, and the studio producer, a guest studio, whatever, had to announce some some form of apology if anyone was offended by the overzealous language. So we had that. We go in the paddock, and everything's wonderful. And as we come out of the paddock, and we're going back to the wherever they feed you with champagne, there was a very attractive, scantily clad, voluminous, full-bodied, twenty-one-year-old female was. Awfully excited and shouting and screaming, congratulations. So I said, would you like to come to the box and share some champagne with me? She was bang up for it, but her big old boyfriend didn't look quite so keen on the idea. And for the first time in his life, my son, who was then about 16, had to rescue me and placate the boyfriend, saying he's just a dirty old perv, but his horse has one. Don't worry about it. So somehow I want to thank you, George. You did save me for a bit of a beating there.
0: Now, you did... I've also been told to ask you when did you actually pick the car up from Solesby Racecourse Car Park there was a bit of a party that ensued after that
1: we had a huge party yeah Um, somehow we managed to put the cup in the boot of the car Seamus then organised some local pub to stay open all hours of the night even Rob Hornby classic winning jockey came back to the pub and we're there till about I don't know three-ish in the morning I suppose and I think the race was on a Thursday night, maybe the following Monday or Tuesday. Seamus had a call. Did he know anybody who was the owner of this particular vehicle which was left in the owner's and trainer's car park for four days? That was me. Lucky if we'd got a few cars and we'd forgotten the car and the trophy safely locked up in the boot. So, yeah, we, that was a, a moment to remember. But we did have a very, very good evening at Salisbury.
0: And as you said, Oban Lady didn't do anything after that. Was it the moment of glory?
1: Well, Oban Lady was bought as a national hunt horse. And at that stage, I had a devout love of Cartmel, only destroyed by the recently appointed course manager of Cartmel. That's another story, but we can go through that a bit later on if you want. Anyway, Oldborn Lady, shortly after winning a mile six handicap on the flat at Cartmel, at Salisbury, then Julie went off to Cartmel 10 days later and was a very close second in a three mile one, naught to 135 hurdle. She seemed to have a sort of a a spurt of activity for about two weeks in her six-year racing career. Only time she ever showed anything, really. But, um, yeah, we had had great fun with her, great fun. Um, But she wasn't quite to be. But she was the catalyst for getting me involved more and more into into racing ownership. And indeed, integrating with Seamus, whose yard I now sponsor, whose beer I now drink, whose breakfast I share, whose tea I drink, and who... Does very best to dodge various calls for all times of the day and night. But yeah, that's where we are.
0: And we're gonna talk about that in the next part. Okay. All right, Simon. So uh Oldborn Lady wasn't your last, but you went you moved to the fellas, you went to Tommy Bow next.
1: Yeah. Um I think it was the Christmas of twenty twenty one. Um what do what do i buy christine my wife for christmas well i thought i'd be something i could get some pleasure out of too we're a little bit old for lingerie and all that sort of stuff now but you know and we've done all that sort of stuff so what can i what can we get so nothing better than a horse is it really so i have a will with Shane. what we got here that's a bit nice then because business ain't been gone too badly and he offered me a cup choice of a couple of horses one of which was tommy bow who shame owned himself um He'd bought us a store, shown a bit of good form. So after a a bit of negotiating, um, I duly bought Tommy Bow a few days after Christmas, actually. And uh, we were going out to lunch with a couple of friends. This was where we had a sort of a brief respite from lockdown, I seem to remember, between Christmas and New Year 2021. And I had to pick my wife up. I said on the way to Salisbury, where we we're meeting a couple of friends i just got something to show you if you go going the yard and chris christine was rather impressed to see that seamus had dressed up this horse with purple and pink tinsel our racing colors are purple and pink so we go into the yard see this horse julie stood there all covered in purple and pink and i said we bought that oh oh she said i said well it's good isn't it <laughs> yes yes she's she's probably not quite as keen on the racing as we're getting there so long and short we bought tommy bow and This is where I did land on my feet. Tommy Bowe won six races for us um, in the space of the first season, including three three three-mile handicap hurdles in the space of 10 days. I did write the Racing post. Has anybody else ever done that. They haven't found that. They never came back with an answer. We won at Plumpton, Hexham and Fakenham in 10 days, clocking out 1,300 miles and probably 1,300 punts. Um, I remember most of the races reasonably well but yeah we've done really well with Tommy Bow, Seamus has excelled himself and um, won his first race at Plumpton over Hurdles, won his first chase um, at Plumpton both of which with my good friend Kevin Jones on board uh, so we we had some good times with Tommy Bow, we've had a few other little hiccups I, I've decided I've got a, a liking, I've always liked watching Sellers. Um, I've bought two, house, two horses of winning seller horses. And eventually, I've got to listen. That's why people put them in sellers. I've got to remember that. But it's still a bit of an ambition of mine to win a seller and clear up. good friend of mine, Robert Tizard, bought a horse called Southwester out of a seller many years ago. And that went on to be some sort of superstar. But he's obviously a luckier than I am.
0: Look, can we um, just veer off a bit? Because you've you've been able to afford to be involved in racing. Oh, yeah, we talked about the the gam, you know, getting the... Canadian up and that but you're a self-made businessman um, so let's not beat around the bush tell us a little bit about your business and How you got to where you are
1: I've always wanted to be in business on my own um, I left school well in fact, I, I left school I was suspended from school I thought sodom I'm not going back so it was my decision um, and I got a job as a in an accounts office I wasn't too bad with the figures but it was boring really boring so, after a while, I, I got a job where I was involved with doing the accounts and selling cars. That wasn't too bad. And then in 1988, when I was, what was I over then, 27, I saw a job with a Peugeot main dealer in Gillingham. They wanted an experienced car salesman, well experienced in selling new vehicles. Well, I'd never sold a new vehicle in my life. But at the time, in Yeovil, a big dealership called Abbey Hill had just gone pop in a big way and vanished overnight. So I forged a reference from them and went along and got a job with Bakers of Gillingham, which is, as I said, 50 yards that way, 35 years ago. Went in with the full knowledge of how well I'd done selling new Fiat's. Well, they swallowed the lot, thankfully. Nick Baker is a good friend of mine still and a 69 Club member, so he doesn't mind me telling him this because I ended up not too bad at it. So that was okay. That got me on the road in car sales. Before that, however, I had my own ice cream van business. I had three ice cream vans parked outside a little terrace house with leads going for the letterbox. All sorts of grief with neighbours. They hated me. Don't blame them. I had a taxi business with six cars in Yeovil. That was so unsuccessful I spent six months living in the taxi office. Uh, but somehow other, the cars and the vans haven't gone too bad. I've been on my own since 2007. And we've developed quite a successful van business trading as we do vans.
0: And anyone that's noticed the logo behind you and anyone that's ever been a bit of a fan of American punk rock or skateboarding would be thinking, I've seen that somewhere before, something very similar.
1: Well, unbeknown to me, there is another van operator, well, unbeknown to me at the time, of course. I am not the man who wears trendy t-shirts and trainers, so it's a world unknown to me. But we did call ourselves We Do Vans and came up with quite a snazzy little logo. And a few years later we had this huge dossier of paperwork arrive in the office from some American copyright lawyer saying we would nicked their logo. I was shocked. I had no idea. And um, after an awful lot of paperwork came through I had to agree to remove the flying V from the vans. I can show you an exhibit. Um, this was a line, the V was extended, was apparently they had worldwide copyright on and I was trading off their advertising or something. Well, I sell vans, they sell dodgy t-shirts. I couldn't see the problem. But anyway, the press picked it up after a few calls from me. We managed to get the front page of the Daily Press, Fox FM, Mail on Sunday, The Sun, all sorts of publicity. And I had to vow to remove the flying V. This in fact is one of the last exhibits. So I shall ceremoniously, just in case we do vans or vans are washing, I shall ceremonially smash it. So I'm sorry for keeping one. So we've done that. That was gone, but it was good publicity at the time. And I even had little old ladies coming in saying, sorry to see you've been threatened. Um, Can we help you out in any way? So, I've got to say, it might have cost us a thousand pounds and a few broken mugs, but it was the best advertising we've ever had. So, thank you, Mr. Vans.
0: I'd have had that one. Right, then, let's get back onto the racing. <laughs> let's get back onto the racing. So, we talked earlier when we started about the 69 club. Um, syndication, I mean, a lot of people seriously have said that it's the way forward. A lot of clubs are starting their micro clubs. So, you know, what, What's your opinion on it?
1: I think it's definitely a way to go ahead, but I think there is. Where it needs to prosper is somewhere in the middle level where we are. There's an awful lot of clubs that pay I don't know, pay forty-nine pounds on a share in a horse. Well you find you've got one ten thousandth of a horse, you might get a glossy picture and you might get a newsletter and you might be in a raffle of about fifty thousand people to get a trip to the races. Now that's fine and it does give people an interest. And the other end of the spectrum uh, you've got syndicates looking for someone to dish out ten or £20,000 for a tenth of a share in a horse. Well, there's only a certain number of people who can do that, and people like me who might be able to do that really want their own thing. So I, I wanted to do something in the middle where we've got people paying £800 a year at the £69 a go. They're guaranteed a day at the races. They're guaranteed some nice facility at the races because if you speak to the courses nicely, they will look after you. they will look after you very well at a reasonable rate we've had great experiences in that respect lately fakenham newton abbott newbury exeter have looked after us brilliantly for excellent value and i firmly believe it's in their interest new people go racing they enjoy their day out with the 69 club they go back on their own and we've now actually got a waiting list of people's friends who want to join our club the 69 club's been fine i say we've got a second horse we might start a new one. I really rather fancy doing 50 shares of Grey, just to keep going with the on the edge theory. So, if anybody's got a grey horse they want to sell to some sucker cheap, that's me. And if you've got any other horse racing deviants who'd like to join that sort of syndicate, that's me too. So, yeah, we, we've it, it definitely is the way ahead, um, and it's working very, very well. I've got to say.
0: Now, you wanted to get something off your chest about affordability.
1: Yeah, I mean it's flavour of the month at the moment. Um, I have had all sorts of grief with most bookmakers. I am a self-employed person. Uh, we're not a limited company so I don't have publicly visible accounts and when I want some money I draw it out the company bank and spend it. So I don't really conform in terms of what the affordability check people want. So I've had all sorts of battles, sending paperwork through, left, right and centre. And to be honest, I've cut right back on my gambling because I can't get a bet on. Um, I don't look the idea of some of the spurious black market firms because my worry is there. If I have a decent win, getting the money out of them concerns me. And things reached a really new level um, a couple of nights ago. Um, I went into a bookmakers in Salisbury to have a bet, I'll tell you, 150 quid each way, not mega, on a horse. I'm quite used to the lad behind the counter having to ring that through for authority, but this time he said, um, I need to have some details about you. Um, I said, okay, fine. So he said, what's your name? I said, Fred Smith, and which he was quite happy with. Where do you live, Fred? I said, I live in Salisbury. So that's he's got me down as Fred Smith's, Fred Smith from Salisbury. I said, what's all that about then when he put the phone? I said, well, he says, it's this affordability stuff? But he says, it's also so we can gauge who are successful punters and who aren't. So therefore, and I'm aware that bookmakers have this little scheme and they have to ring through, is it a red customer, an amber customer or a blue customer? Which basically means it's someone you know, is it a winner or is it a compulsive loser? which has a bearing on whether head office agreed to take the bet. So this, this now is a new tack that the bookmakers absolutely know. Yes, we can hide behind affordability, completely irrelevant when they were quite happy to really give a false name and show no ID, but now they have got me on the radar. So that if my 150 quid each way betted one, thank oh sadly it didn't. So I wish they had turned me down. They then got me on the radar and I'm convinced that the bookmakers are using this affordability checks to actually regulate winning punters a little bit more. We all know years ago, as soon as you win something, you'll get closed down. This gives them another tool to do that. And I'm more than happy to explore and divulge which bookmaker was involved and where it was maybe another time. But it's the, the, the affordability checks is ridiculous. What it is doing is taking people away from betting conventionally, which takes money out of the racing industry. If ultimately I cannot have a bet, I won't own horses. It's an integral part of owning my horses to back them. And it will be the ruination of the racing game unless people get together and deal with it properly. Um, And I really, really feel strongly about that. It is a major part of ownership as far as I am concerned. And the more difficult it is to have a bet, the less lucky it is for me to get more involved in racing. And I know an awful lot of people feel the same. And we really need to stop all this messing about and all sorts of silly things and get the relevant stakeholders involved and sit down and deal with it. If I want to spend all day on an online casino, I can do that unregulated. If I want to go out and buy flash cars with no um, consideration by finances, I can do that all day long. Yes, problem gambling is an issue. And there's one simple way to my mind to actually look at people in the first place is do a credit check on them. If I want to buy a mobile phone, if I want to, I don't know, buy a holiday on credit or buy a car or even get a store card, someone will do a a credit check on me. If the bookmakers did that or were allowed to do that, that would spot the problem signs. If customer X is behind with his mortgage, increased his borrowings, etc. and is betting heavily, that would be the sign that this chap may have a problem. Then we need to investigate further. If the credit check reveals that the man is living perfectly between be perfectly within his means that would be a reason to ease off the pressure maybe consult the man occasionally are you okay you sure you're happy which is fine but not all the intrusive bank statements accounts and lord knows what because it, it really is a major issue that's me serious ran over. <laughs> and I've seen you
0: careering up and down the betting ring at Newton now, but the first time I saw you actually is aware of you. So who's that chap having it on? So um, you, at least I know you can get it on somewhere. On course, go racing, everyone. Um, so finally, the 69 Club. You've mentioned they might have the 50 Shades of Grey. Um,
1: 50, 50 Shares of Grey. 50
0: Shares of Grey, sorry. So anybody wants to contact you?
1: To anybody told to me about Yeah. Um, Simon Prout. Um, i use my business email, which is hq at com. You might want a van too, but they're in pretty short supply. Horses are easier. Um, give me a call. Uh, more, in, more than interested in talking to you about it. Um, and come and join the party. Guaranteed fun days out. And I think we can vouch for that. And
0: it's the first time I've ever had a bit of uh, crockery broken on an in interview. So, uh, Simon, Pratt, thank you very much.
1: I was rather worried about more litigation, thought I'd better destroy the evidence to show I've taken their warning seriously.